0: hey guys welcome back to say this and not that our summer series where we're discovering the power of our words how according to james the little brother of jesus whose first century letter has been meticulously translated and and transmitted into the new testament in your bible today which if you just pause on that for a moment just think about that for a second today at home in your house in your bible You could read a 2,000-year-old letter, not just from the time of Jesus, not just about Jesus, but literally written by the half-brother of Jesus. James, who too was the son of Mary, fathered by the carpenter Joseph, the very same Mary and Joseph that you sing about on Christmas Eve and have in your Christmas manger sets, and who grew up, James, getting noogies from his big brother Jesus, you can read from his hand what he has to say. That is literally amazing. That's the document you have sitting on the shelf in your house this morning. That's why I'd encourage you take it down, read it. It's unbelievable. Anyway, if you've been with us over these weeks, you know James. Well, he has a lot to say about, well, about what we say and, and how our words make our worlds. He says that they set the course of our lives. Now, sometimes we're conscious of our words. We, we verbalize them, or in terms of others, we hear them. We hear their words. And of course, those words are powerful. Many of us this morning, we still nurse some wounds from words that were spoken to us or over us all the way back to our childhood. But guys, I would contend that, that the words that are more dangerous, spoken words are, are, are dangerous, but those unspoken words the subtle soundtrack of our lives the little voice in our head which speaks to us that nobody else hears i think those words they might be the most dangerous words of all and so this morning i want to make you aware of one word that i know you've been had you've had rolling around your head that that voice in your head keeps nudging you with it's incredibly dangerous for you. Not only does it rob your joy, but it it literally could steal your life. This word is so powerful and so pervasive, my bet is, having raised four kids, that it was likely the second word you learned to speak. You remember some weeks ago in this series, we took on the first word most of us as children learn, and that is the word no. What we discovered is that while we're super good at saying no as kids, as adults, we lose the art of a good no and Thus, our lives get out of balance and out of control. The problem with this second word, we learn to speak it early in life, but then we never, ever stop. Oh sure, as we get older, we learn not to speak it out loud, but that subtle voice in our head, the leaning in our heart, well, that never goes away. That one word, that one simple, dangerous word, more. Now, I don't have the copyright permission this morning, but if I did, I'd put up one of my favorite clips from uh, the, Jerry, the old Jerry Seinfeld show. Some of you remember this episode. Jerry and Elaine are on a flight. Jerry gets bumped up to first class, and he's seated next to this beautiful model. Elaine, in the meantime, is jammed back in coach, eating stale pretzels with a guy drooling on her shoulder. And so Jerry's up front, and after finishing his champagne and dinner, he's enjoying a hot fudge sundae when the stewardess comes to check on them she leans over and asks them if they'd like more of anything. Now, any of you guys remember what the answer was? More anything, more everything. And that's funny. At least it's funny to us because it is us. More anything, more everything. Welcome to the human condition. More anything, more everything. Now I want to introduce you to my friend. This is my fish. Enoch, Enoch loves feeding time. He waits for it all day. Now I want you to know Enoch was swimming around happily before all the lights went on. He's a little camera shy. But usually if I just drop a couple of these pep pellets, a couple of these flakes in Enoff's bowl, well, he just swims up to the top and goes crazy. So if just a few flakes make Enoch happy, well, just imagine how happy Enoch is going to be if I just keep feeding him. That is going to be one happy fish. But this morning, if you're watching at home, I know what you're doing right now. You're screaming, no! And why? Because you know that more is dangerous. Enoff doesn't know the danger of more. More is going to kill him. Hashtag save Enoch, E-N-O-F-F, from more. Let's get that trending on Twitter. He's just a stupid fish. He doesn't know the dangers of more. Now, a few years ago, our family had a dog named Casey. She was a, a rescue um, pet, largely Yellow Lab, partly something else. Now, we loved Casey, and one day, a very dear friend of mine who annually bakes for our family one of our favorite seasonal desserts, her homemade, very dense plum cake. Well, she gave it to me, and I bought it home, and I made the mistake of leaving it out on the counter. The family and I went out for a bit, and when we came back, the plum cake, which what makes it so good is it, it's so dense and heavy and full of plums. Well, the plum cake was gone, because it turned out Casey liked plum cake too. Casey also found a full box of cookies and a full package of English muffins, which at first sounds innocent enough. All dogs do that, but for Casey, just like for a little lean Moore proved not only dangerous, but deadly. Later that night, she began to bloat, and some of you might know that with some breeds of dogs, overconsumption like this causes their stomachs to literally flip. And the dangers of more became very personal for us the next morning because Casey died. And I loved her, and I wish I could have saved her. But she was just a dopey dog, unable to control herself, She couldn't have known any better. Brian Wozniak from Cornell University's Food and Brand Lab, he conducted a fascinating experiment, written up and described in his 2005 paper, Bottomless Bowls. The experiment split 54 people up over two different bowls of soup. Now randomly, some of them were given an ordinary bowl of tomato soup to eat, while others were given a bottomless bowl of soup. And so as they ate, unbeknownst to the diner, the bowl continued to fill back up from the bottom of the bowl here's what they discovered participants who were unknowingly eating from the self-refilling bowls ate not surprisingly more soup than those eating from the normal bowls however despite consuming you ready for this despite consuming 73 percent more soup number one they did not believe they had consumed more And number two, they did not perceive themselves to be any more full than those who were eating from normal bowls. This was unaffected by body mass index. In other words, it didn't matter how big they were. They just kept eating. Stupid humans, who's going to save them? Who's going to save you and I from the dangers of more? Or... Put another way, and and you need to ask yourself this question this morning. When is enough for you? When is enough really enough? When is enough salary really enough? When will your house be big enough and your car new enough, your wardrobe nice enough, your girlfriend hot enough, your boyfriend cool enough, your kids spoiled enough, your accomplishments successful enough, your resume impressive enough? Seriously. When will enough be enough? I've shared this story before. I remember my first job out of college, 1989. I was part of First Fidelity Banks. That was the biggest bank in the state at the time, very prestigious for me. That should have been enough. I was part of their management training class. And and I, I remember as both a new employee and a relatively new follower of Jesus at the time, walking down the street with the rest of the class, and we were dreaming together of what our futures were going to hold as we walked i remember some of my newfound colleagues speaking about some pretty grandiose futures not me though as a shiny new believer in jesus and gosh shiny new believers indeed in jesus can be dangerous i remember thinking man all these guys have their hearts set on all these worldly things not me literally i remember speaking up and saying as we walked down broad street well, guys, if I can just make enough money to support my family and have a little house and have some time to spend with my kids, that's all I want. You know what happened? I got a little house, I made a little money, and I had a little time. And you know what I wanted then? More. More is dangerous. More, more ruins life plans. I had a friend that I was in a Bible study with decades ago, a good man and a godly guy. We were both young finance guys, and I remember him telling me he felt called by God to be in ministry. And so I asked him why he wasn't pursuing it. Well, he told me he was going to, but he had to get just a little more money and security, put away first, and then he would do it. That's 25 years ago. I'm pretty sure my friend is still eating his soup. Now, many of you know the story of Moses, called by God to lead his people, the Israelites, from their captivity in Egypt to the land God had promised their forefathers. And again, if you know the story in the second book of the Bible, a book called Exodus, named after this grand departure, well, after Pharaoh lets Moses' people go, after God parts the Red Sea for them, well, now what? A journey lay ahead, but how are they going to sustain themselves in the desert along the way? Well, after a while, God's miraculous provision for them, as seen in the seven plagues, which had gotten them released, and the splitting of the Red Sea, which had gotten them away, well, that wasn't enough to convince them that God was going to continue to provide. Exodus chapter 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Did you catch that, guys? Ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Note in Egypt, this place of captivity, we all ate what we wanted, we had more. In fact, they liked the concept of more so much, they wanted to go back to their brutal captors. That's how dangerous more can be. Moses continues, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in And that's to be twice as much as they gather on the other days see on the sixth day in preparation for the sabbath there would be available and they would be able to take enough of this bread to ensure that they could rest on the sabbath and why did god do this why did god provide for them in this way quote because then you will know that i am the lord your god well the israelites did as they were told some gathered much some little And when they measured it by the omer, and omer is a dry measurement in Israel, about three and a half pounds. The one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had just gathered as much as they needed. And then Moses communicates what was to become an eternal truth, an eternal teaching, an eternal lesson for God's people. Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. In other words, God's provided enough for today for everyone. Don't take more than what you need for today. Why? Because more is dangerous. More more for me means less for you. More for me doesn't teach me that God is God. More for me teaches me not to rely on God, but to rely on me. And I like more. The scriptures go on, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. Why do you think Moses was angry with them? Well, I I guess for a couple of reasons. The first is he knows he's going to have to explain their behavior to God, who told them only to take what was enough. And the other, I would guess, is just a purely practical reason. Their individual desires for more had brought maggots and smell into the camp and the culture, and now everybody else was going to be burdened by it. And isn't that the truth about our pursuit of more? In its wake, it leaves behind in our families and and in our relationships and in our offices, in our churches, in our nation, heck, in our lives, a stench, a disease that everybody else winds up being burdened by, which leads to a pretty profound question. Who has your constant pursuit of more burdened? What has it done, smelled like to your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors? Who is borne the burden, or paid the price for your more. Check this out. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white, like coriander seed, and tasted like wafers made with honey. How good is God? Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I bought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. And why? Why, so that you and I might too know that He is the Lord our God that provides for us just what we need for today, so that we might know the danger of more. In fact, guys, do you wanna know, this will blow your mind a little bit, do you wanna know how important this is? Check out this next verse. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant of the law so that it might be preserved. Hear this now. You know the ark that the raiders like Harrison Ford are looking for? That's the ark of the covenant. It was where the Ten Commandments were kept and it was where the Omer of Manna was kept. The lesson is that important. You keep it next to the commandments. Can you imagine, church, how powerful it would be that if the United States of America, the richest country that's ever existed, if we taught our kids not just the Ten Commandments, if we put out in front of our courthouses not just the Ten Commandments, but a reminder of the Omer of manna. What if the United States, where we consume 815 billion calories of food each day, which is roughly 200 billion calories more than needed, enough to feed 80 million hungry people? What if, I mean, perspective, we throw out 200,000 tons of edible food daily. What if we would teach our kids and our culture alike the lesson of enough and the danger of more? Here's the funny part. Almost all of us have been praying for this very thing our whole lives. If I were to ask you this morning, what is the most known, most recited prayer, most of you would say the Lord's Prayer. And what's right there in the middle of the Lord's prayer that you've been reciting since you were a little kid? The Omer of manna. Give us this day our daily bread. Guys, the Lord has been answering our prayer our whole lives. But instead of seeing it, appreciating it, being thankful for it, knowing that He is the Lord our God because of it, we've been too focused on more. The scriptures are replete with the warnings. The Old Testament book of Haggai. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you aren't filled with drink. You, You clothe yourself, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes in it. The Old Testament book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, says that a leech has twin daughters named Gimme and Gimme More. Three things are never satisfied. No, there are four that never say, That's enough, thank you. Hell, a barren womb, a parched land, and you remember what James compared our tongues to? A forest fire. But this is not just an Old Testament or Old Covenant concept. The Apostle Paul, who after the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He writes a majority of your New Testament. Paul has a a prodigy named Timothy. And here's what Paul passed on to Timothy regarding say enough and not more. Godliness, he wrote, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Church of Jesus Christ, may I repeat that? But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And then Paul explains why. He tells Timothy the dangers of more. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue more? No, no, no. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I heard somebody put it this way this week. Enough is not a level of wealth you achieve, but a statement of trust that you declare this is the lesson of the manna if we don't learn it we're no different than my fish enough which is a little play on the word enough or my dog casey you know why well the psalmist explained it this way people who have wealth but lack understanding are like beasts that perish and so guys how do we make the switch how do we change out the wording how do we say this and not that how do we say enough i have enough and not more well i'm going to end with two practical ways and one prayer for you this week practical way one i would love for you to determine today this week how much is enough like really guys ask yourself how much is enough call a family meeting how about a conversation over date night what a premarital uh, premarital um, counseling question this would be honey For us, when will we know enough is enough? When will we have enough money, enough savings, enough titles, enough accomplishments, enough respect, enough notoriety? Can I challenge you? Literally write this down. Make a pledge to yourself, to each other, that enough will be enough. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it relates to the practical number two. When the Lord your God provides for you enough, and you realize that it really is enough, This is where generosity begins. This is when there is enough for everyone. This is when there is some left over for others. This is the lesson of the Omer of Manna. God has provided enough for everyone as long as those with enough know that enough is enough. And when you get enough, then start giving the rest away that's where godliness and contentment will meet. Now, here's the second practical way. And this this has to do with awareness. Have you ever noticed you were perfectly content with your iPhone 9 until the iPhone 10 came out? Awareness of the possibility of more is what springs to life within us a desire for more and a lack of contentment with. And there are a whole lot of really smart people who spend the best hours of their day and the best years of of their lives making sure that you're aware that there's more available. Remember the soup study? Here's what the authors wrote as their conclusion. Quote, These findings are consistent with the notion that the amount of food on a plate or a bowl increases intake because it influences consumption norms and expectations and it lessens one's reliance on self-monitoring. He goes on, it seems that people use their eyes to count calories and not their stomach. The importance of having salient, accurate visual cues can play an important role in the prevention of unintentional overeating. In other words, you might be full and not even know it. And it's causes, my dad used to say to me, when I would fill up my plate at that buffet, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Church, we got to watch where we set our eyes. We got to watch what it is that we're looking at. One author put it this way. He said, awareness has the potential to drive your discontentment in one of two directions. It can fuel appetites that'll never be satisfied, or it can propel you towards unprecedented generosity while curbing your appetite to spend. We have to cultivate awareness of things that really matter. Opportunities that make a real difference in the world. Things that matter to our Heavenly Father. It takes no discipline or effort on our parts to be aware of what we don't have but could have. Culture takes care of that just fine. But it takes initiative to become and remain aware of what other people don't have but should have. We're gonna have to make a concerted effort to keep the needs of others in the forefront of our thinking, not for guilt's sake, but for the sake of being good stewards of the resources that we've been privileged to manage. And so every spending, every saving decision we make is made within a framework of awareness. We have to make it a habit to see beyond our, our neighborhoods, beyond our schools, beyond our geographical frames and reference. And if we don't, Eventually, our awareness becomes limited just to our individual experiences. We won't feel compelled to share. Seeing will become needing because we will lost our awareness of what it means to actually be in need. Now, this is especially true for those of us who claim to follow Jesus. Our Father has provided enough for everyone. If His children would just learn that enough is enough, and begin to uh, focus on the injustices of the world and the needs of others. In fact, God makes you this promise. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Listen to this promise, guys. The Lord will guide you always He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Practical step number one, write down when enough will be enough for you and your family. Practical step number two, make yourselves aware of the needs of others. And that's going to take conscious effort, guys. And then finally, there's this prayer. One prayer, two parts. You should write this down. It's not my prayer. The writer of the Proverbs prayed it and I think so should we two things he said i ask of you o lord do not refuse me before i die keep falsehood and lies far away from me and give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread otherwise i may have too much and disown you and say who is the lord or i may become poor and steal And so dishonor the name of my God. Friends, this week my prayer for you is that enough would be enough. That you would learn the lesson of the manna. That you would see the importance of learning the dangers of more. And that the Lord your God is, as the Israelites referred to him, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider that you would begin to trust Him for enough. And in so doing, be set free from your captivity of more. And with that freedom, with your needs met, with your your wants quenched, cry out to Jesus the prayer of Philip. Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. May you know that in His life, death, resurrection in his love in his forgiveness he has shown us the father and may we as his church here in mendham this week say it is he is he is our enough amen i gotta go save enough i'll see you here next week